Well, good morning and welcome to those of you watching online as well. It is great to be in the main building with you this morning as we continue and bring to a close our series called Pray, where we've been looking at three specific prayers that Paul prayed in three separate books of the Bible with our aim to pray big, faith-filled prayers expectantly together as a community. But before I launch into preaching, I'm just so aware that we live in a space between life and death, between tragedy and joy. And there's just a couple of things that I'm aware of that I want to make space for and just pray, actually, before I begin. That, Lord, you know what is happening in this place. You know of a couple of situations. And so, Lord, I just want to pray your comfort and your peace in the midst of challenge, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of mourning, Lord. Lord, would you come and be you to people? Would you do what only you can do as we acknowledge the joy but the tragedy of of life? Would you be near to people that so need you this morning, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So two weeks ago, JT, our senior pastor, brought an inspirational message from the book of Philemon, where he encouraged us to be active in sharing our faith consistently so that we have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ, that we would fall more in love with him and therefore be more able to share our story. And then last week, Sarah preached out of Ephesians, where she brought a message on how Jesus can do more than even what we ask for or pray for, and even what we imagine that he can do through the power at work in us. And if you were here, I hope you enjoyed, as much as I did watching online, that analogy from Kung Fu Panda. That was, that was great. That the journey with God is a constant revelation of God's love and power as we grow more in who he is and who we are in him. And this is a journey which just goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and we never reach the end of. And so today, our final part, we are in the book of Romans, and we're looking at one of the ways that we live out that journey with God. So we've seen in these prayers that Paul prays something specific, followed by a so that which produces an outcome where we become more the people that God has created us to be. Do you know this morning that you are made in the image of a God who knows you, who sees you, who loves you, who can do more than you ask or imagine, and that even in the midst of the depths of the pain and the tragedy of life, God is there, he sees you, and he came and he died in your place as you, so that you would know that you are loved, that you can come to him as you are, and that there is forgiveness from the past, there is hope for the future and new life for today. And I hope that if you, you don't know the God who offers you that, and it's nothing you can earn, that this morning, this would be a moment where you encounter God and where you come to him as you are and get to experience his love for you. 
Because as we pray together, as we pray for one another, we see God more. Not so that we become greater, but so that God, the God who partners with us and his Holy Spirit are released to bring transformation and life in all its fullness. So we're in the book of Romans, and Romans is a letter written by Paul from the city of Corinth to Christians in the city of Rome, while Paul was on his third missionary journey. And Rome was at the center of the empire, and in the first century AD, it had a population of around a million people in an area less than 10 square miles. And Paul is writing so that the people in Rome would know the gospel as well as treating the issue of relationships and urging them to participate fully in his plan. So I'm going to be reading from Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. If you have a Bible, if uh, maybe it's coming up, but if you want to turn there with me, Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This passage is an echo of what Jesus prayed for his disciples and for all of us, every one of us, you and I, before he was handed over to the Romans and crucified, put to death on Easter Sunday. And so as Jesus is in the garden, Gethsemane, before he's led away, he prays this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Talking about the disciples then and all of us today. That all of them may be one so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me that as human beings, we would be at all times, everywhere, one in life, together. We're talking today about unity. Now, unity can be good or bad. People can be united against something that's good or in favor of something that is bad. We saw this, obviously, throughout history in the 20th century with regimes where evil was actually supported by people in unity together. So unity can be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. It's neutral until the thing that we are unified around is in line with who God is and his plan for humanity. So the unity here that God is talking about is a unity given by the Spirit so that people are equipped in faith and together knowing the truth are committed in our affections to the good of the family of God, whether we feel like it or not, pursuing the same good aims. So that 
by living the way that we were created to in the beauty and the harmony and the functionality of relationship, the world would see God and know that he loves them because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. Paul understands that this is somehow a profound mystery, that our believability happens because of our unity. And I say this as someone who loves to have really good answers to give people to the tough questions and to be prepared to give those answers when they ask us. That when we look at our faith, that it stands on solid evidence, that it's credible, that when we take every major worldview, you can put it into three categories and ask two questions of truth to them. And only Christianity makes sense of the existential questions that we ask in life. They cohere together and they correspond to the nature of reality. I love that. I love being able to grapple with those tough questions. But it's not by that. It's by the way that we love one another, by the way that we have unity together. That is the special secret source by which God reveals his love to people and which they know the gospel and are open to even hearing those truths. This is a profound mystery, but this is God's design. But unity involves the hard work of the soul. We've heard from Paul that it requires endurance and encouragement. Because unity doesn't happen accidentally. It's not a random event. No one wins a medal at the Olympics and the interviewer comes up to them and says, wow, how did you do it? Oh, how must you be feeling? What was your training like? And they, they say, well, I just got off the bus and I put on the trainers and I stood at the start line and actually it was really easy. And then I was at the finish and I don't know how it happened. It just, it just happened. No, this requires intentionality. It requires endurance and encouragement from from coaches, from mentors, from friends, from family, from colleagues, from people alongside us, persevering with us, because unity is hard work. We know that life is better in relationship, don't we? When we have unity, but we live in an incredibly divisive time. We know this, marked by immense polarization because of the advent of the digital age and the sharing and the spread of information through social media. We now know what everyone thinks about everything. And there are enough categories available to be able to make your mind up on something. And the tolerance structures that bred the decency of communication have eroded. So that in the words of Kerry Newhoff, we live in an age where opinions are strongly held and weakly formed. We also have to endure in the midst of our socio-cultural ideologies, where definitions are changing, labels are up, and resilience is down. And our challenge is that to love unconditionally means to accept everything subjective what I feel as objective, as true for everyone. 
that love itself has become politicized. And we also love to see fighting, don't we? As entertainment, in sports, as drama and reality TV. And instead of community in the West, we live in a time hallmarked by individualism as one of the fruits of the Enlightenment where personal autonomy that I get to decide for myself and choose what I want to do became the central value of Western society. And so the growth of independence and autonomy has meant the decline in community and communal values. Don't worry, the good news is coming. (laughs) Our culture asks the questions, are you feeling unfulfilled, unappreciated? And it gives the answers, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. You do you. Love yourself. The answers are within you. It's no wonder that people are lost when we are the compass. And then even as Christians, we're the most divided faith group on earth with our factions and our denominations and our infighting around secondary issues. And then finally, there's also the immense pain involved in building and maintaining relationships and families. In fact, in many ways, our relational and emotional suffering is the one thing that unites all of us as human beings in a fallen world. And sometimes the loss of a piece of that unity can bring the whole thing down. As a child, we trust everyone and everything, but we get let down, we get disappointed, we get hurt, we get treated wrongly, and so we distrust people, and it leads to a fear which dilutes unity. We become afraid of the other. But God says, do not fear man. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against each other. It's against the powers and principalities of this dark world. There are some natural enemies of unity, and we know all of them. Poor communication, gossip, unresolved disagreements, and lack of shared purpose. Those are natural enemies to unity. But we know that we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, and so often we don't acknowledge him, but he comes against unity. Rick Warren outlines three ways, three temptations that divide us. Passion, possession, and position. Or said another way, sex, money, and power. Or another way, the temptation to feel, the temptation to have, and the temptation to be. And so often, all of these lead to shame. We run away from each other and we hide. We see this in Genesis 2 where we experience nakedness, vulnerability. There's shame because our position on ourselves has changed. But I want to say to you today that God doesn't feel any differently about you. 
He loves you even in your shame, even in the ways that we run away from him and run away from each other. And so actually, one of the things I wanna encourage us today is that we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who for whatever reason don't feel accepted into community. This is why unity is a profound mystery. This is why it's spiritual, because it only happens through God. But the good news is for us today that when you're accepted, God is expected. When we accept one another, God moves and demonstrates his love. When we accept one another, when we're one together, when we have unity. And in many ways, this is part of my story. Someone accepted me at a time when I needed love and stability and family. So, let me encourage us that despite the challenges of our time and how hard unity is, there is power, presence, and purpose in unity. Because if the church, if we together, look at the person next to you, if we together are the hope of the world, God at work in us, then unity is the plan. You know, when great evil and injustice emerge, it is always a people in unity and solidarity standing together that is a force throughout our history that evil is not able to move against. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against what the church should be in Matthew 16. And so our challenge today is not to be a flock of consumers, but an army of believers together in love to demonstrate to the world that there is a love that will never let people down. That is our mission. So what things do unite us? Well, as we approach Easter Sunday next week, we know that Christ, who is in many of us, died for all. And that means we share in his suffering too, relational, emotional, financial. But it's how we love each other in those moments that define a people's culture. Our temptation so often is that we want to stand out by ourselves, but our power is in our unity, is in our standing together, is in our binding in love together, in our commitment and our affections and our attitudes and our endurance and our encouragement of one another. This is captured in a Zulu word, Ubuntu, which means I am because you are that my eternal destiny and my sufferings and my joys in life are somehow caught up and bound together in yours, that we all share in life together in such a way that I am because you are. I came across this fact about horses. Did you know that Working horses can pull around 800 pounds of force, one horse, 
Uh, a horse that's bred for pulling carts and, and machinery. A working horse can pull 800 pounds of force. And then because of something called synergy, you'd think that if you take two horses, the force that they can pull would be double. It's actually three times as much. But if you take two horses, working horses, that have been bred together, that are of a similar size, that have been raised together, that eat the same diet, they are on the same rhythm and routine together, those two horses can pull four times what one horse can. Isn't that incredible? There is power in unity. Amen. And of course, God himself is unity. In him is contained the full expression of community. He is three persons, God in relationship with us and with himself in the unity of the Trinity. And Jesus' prayer in that passage in John 17 that we read is that we would be perfectly one, united together in the same way that I, Jesus speaking, and the Father are one. This is a challenge, but we're also part of a global family. When I was 18, I went backpacking around Europe for two months, 19 countries in two months, interrailing on trains, sleeping rough half the time, but it was great. And I went traveling with two friends from school. They would have called themselves atheists. I had just become a Christian. And so we found ourselves, the first three weeks of this traveling experience, debating, sparring, and they're saying, this Christianity is a load of rubbish, it's nonsense, it's fairy tales, and I'm trying to give some good answers for why I've decided to devote my life to this person called Jesus. So we're three weeks in, and we're sat in a field in Vienna, in Austria, and we, I realize in this moment that actually, I'm really missing community. I'm feeling really, really alone. And I just, I would just love to connect with another Christian, with another believer, almost as a new Christian, to reassure me that I haven't deluded myself into something kind of crazy and weird. So anyway, we are staying in an abandoned hospital. There is a a longer version to this story, by the way, but we're staying in an abandoned hospital. And uh, it's late at night at this time. I think it's like half 12, one in the morning. My two friends have gone to bed, and I'm sat outside in the corridor with my Bible open, and I'm praying, God, would I just meet one other Christian? Just an incidental moment on a train, just some way that we discover, you know, maybe not through a secret handshake, but that we're, <laughs> but that we're, we're both followers of Jesus, Right? So I'm sat in this corridor and I pray, God, would I just meet one other Christian to, to reassure me and to have some community? So it's about one in the morning and I go to sleep. We get up the next day and we're traveling to Slovenia, to Ljubljana, the capital. So long train ride, we get to the capital and we've printed this crude map in an internet cafe. It takes us a while to find this hostel that we're trying to get to. So my friend, his girlfriend back in the UK had booked us this hostel. 
And so we, we eventually find it. We're waiting outside, and we're pressing the buzzer, and there's these big gates, and we can't get in. And in the longer version of the story, some Slovenian police turn up, but that's for another time. And so we eventually get into this hostel. Hostel owner gets the details up on the system. No booking. So we're like, well, are you sure? Can you check? Here's the details. Uh, finds the booking for a week later. Nowhere to stay. Again, got to sleep rough under a train somewhere. So we're like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? And the hostel owner says, well, I have another hostel on the other side of the city, and my truck is out back. So if you chuck your backpacks in and hop in, then I'll drive you to the other side of the city, to the other hostel, and uh, we'll get you set up in a room, some mattresses on the floor, and I'll come back tomorrow, set you up properly. So it's about 10 p.m. at this point. We've been traveling all day. We get to this other hostel, and we hop out the pickup truck. There's all these people outside. And uh, we kind of say hi. We realize that they're English-speaking. Anyway, we go up to the room, mattresses on the floor. We're getting set up, and it's my turn to shower first because uh, we, you know, we just took it in turns when we arrived at a new place. So I hop into the shower. My friends go downstairs and mingle and meet with the people that are in the hostel. So I get out the shower, and my friends come upstairs, and they say to me, you'll never guess what. I'm like, what? There's 40 people staying at this hostel. They're all American, and they're all Christians. And so over the next few days, we actually extended our time there. We were able to have, well, I was able to have fellowship, community with them, and they were able to take over and, and have some debates and, and some conversations with my friends. Because I prayed that I would meet one Christian, and less than 24 hours later, I'm surrounded by a global family in the company of 40 Christians. Because I prayed this little prayer and God did immeasurably more than all I could ask for or expect. You see, I prayed that prayer because I felt alone. And if you're a believer in the family of God, then you are never alone. You always have God with you, and you have a global family, a family in this building today who want to love you and want to invite you into community and family because there is presence in unity. There's power in unity, there's presence in unity, and there's purpose in unity. Because the best thing about doing this life is that you do not have to do it alone. You are part of something bigger than yourself. This is what we long for. This is what we crave. That's why serving here on a team is so great. And I just want to give a little opportunity to honor my alpha team, who are absolutely amazing. We have a team of, please honor them. We have about 32 people on our alpha team who sacrifice a Thursday night every week. And let me tell you, alpha is amazing. And the way that this team works together in unity is a beautiful thing. And I actually think this is one of the best ways that we can demonstrate unity. And guess what? 
in a few weeks' time, we have our evening services resuming. This is, has this been announced? Yeah, yeah. 8th of May. Hey? 8th of May. 8th of May. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Okay, good. Evening services are coming back 8th of May. And so I want to commend to you that one of the best ways that we can demonstrate unity to one another, to our town, to our community, is by serving on a team here in this church, having family together, working together for something bigger than you. Because when we commit to others and we do this life together, there's purpose in unity. Okay, I'm going to bring this to a close. So to be brought to complete unity, this requires endurance and encouragement. We know this. We know that any relationship requires commitment, but it's so worth it. We can only do this life together. But what do we do? We, we run away, we're busy, we make excuses, we hide, there's shame because of our vulnerability. And even as I'm preaching, there are people in my mind who are not here because they've run away. And our job, every one of us, is to run after those people, run after our friends, bring them back into community and say, no, come as you are. There's no shame. God loves you. He accepts you. We accept you because when you're accepted, God is expected. We need to remind one another of who we are, that we're sons and daughters of the God who doesn't see you any differently, no matter what you've done in the past. There's forgiveness for that because this is how this thing works. We all need each other. But we run away because we don't have it all figured out. Well, guess what? Neither does the person next to you. That's why we're doing it together. That's why we need each other. We've got to stick together and strive side by side, even when it's hard. This is why you've got to have someone praying for you. This is why we have to pray for unity. And you know, we always want to be there. We always want to be where it's good, at the end result, where we see revival, where we see this town knowing Jesus, experiencing God's love, coming into family, where this building is no longer big enough to hold what God is doing. That's what we want. That's what we seek, that no one would be lost. But Everyone needs to be in their place, and we need to be a praying people in unity together. And we know that God sees favor in unity. I think it's Psalm 133, where we hear that God commands a blessing where there is unity. Can we get that on the, on the speakers? God commands a blessing where there is unity. He's looking for partners. In biblical history and church history, God looks down and he sees a praying people in unity together. That's where he moves. So what can we do 
church, to cultivate a culture of unity in your family, in your friendships, in your colleagues, in your teams that you lead at work, in the ways that your kids love their friends at school. So that in this town, God would be glorified and we would be the light, the city on the hill that people are looking for because of the way that we accept one another, the ways that we love one another, and the ways that we have unity together. Well, we can pray.